Welcome to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Wes McAdams. Here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. In today's episode, we are going to talk about the Christian and violence, whether or not it's justifiable for Christians to use violence to defend themselves and to defend others. Uh, today's episode is actually going to be part one of a two-part series. Uh, it ended up going a little longer than I thought it was going to. So this is part one, and next week we will hopefully, Lord willing, release part two. Hope you enjoy this conversation. been having some wonderful Bible studies and and discussions here lately uh, with some preachers and evangelists that I have the utmost respect for, uh, men that I am so thankful to call friends. And uh, we have a, a, a new set of, of faces on today's episode. Uh, first of all, Luke Dockery. Luke, welcome back to the podcast. Good to have you, brother. Thanks for inviting me back. It's always good to be with you, Wes. <clears throat> Great to have you. And Brandon Britton, welcome back. Hey, Wes. Great to be here again. Great to have you. And Stephen Cuffel, thanks for being with us, brother. Yeah, it's a blessing. Thank you very much. All three of you have been on the podcast uh, at different times, but... Man, I'm just—I'm giddy with excitement having the three of you together uh, and just getting to have this 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 roundtable conversation about something that I've I've been frankly wanting to talk about on the podcast for a long time, but have intentionally avoided because I knew it would be incredibly controversial. Uh, though it probably shouldn't be as controversial as it is, it is something that Christians have been talking about and have taken a very strong stance on uh, since the very beginning. Uh, as, as far back as we have Christian writings, uh, we have writings about this subject, about how should Christians think about and, um, and, and what should Christians do as it pertains to um, using deadly force, using violence. Um, how should Christians think about that, and should Christians participate in that? So let's go ahead and, and, and start this conversation just by kind of taking, taking a poll or taking our, our temperature on this, on this conversation and just going around the circle and asking, uh, what's your perspective on this? Well, Luke, Luke Dockery, we'll start with you, brother. Uh, yeah, so <clears throat> I guess where I would want to start is to acknowledge that it is a pretty controversial question. Um, and I know devout believers who love Jesus, who disagree where, with me, where I am on this. And so um, kind of in the spirit of Romans 14, I would say that uh, I don't have this totally nailed down in my own mind, and I'm able to be respectful towards people who, who come at this from a different place. Um, <clears throat> but having said that, generally speaking, I don't think that Christians should use deadly force to defend themselves or others. Uh, that doesn't mean that I'm suggesting passivity where you just kind of stand by and just let whatever happen. Um, but I think maybe a, <clears throat> the principle that I would suggest is something like least necessary force. If you find uh, yourself in such a situation where um, 
you're not just rushing to kind of like the, the ultimate use of, of lethal force. And, you know, I would acknowledge that in a, in a fallen world where difficult things happen, there are exceptions to this, uh, perhaps. But I would also say that these, these are rare. And I think oftentimes in discussions like this, we jump to the exceptional circumstance as a way of avoiding the general principle. And so while I would acknowledge that uh, perhaps there are circumstances in which my own principles and feelings would really be pressed hard and maybe I would, maybe I would feel differently, the reality is that I, I, I do feel pretty strongly that Christians should not be comfortable with violence. We should not be proponents of that. And we should be looking um, to go to extraordinary measures to avoid it. Uh, so that's kind of a rambling answer, but that's kind of where I am. Um, so I would say like, I'm not fully all on uh, like a pacifist position, um, but I'm certainly towards that. Great thoughts. Great thoughts. Thank you for sharing those. Brandon, how about you? Well, I'll kind of give you a, a quick, you know, direct answer to the question to go ahead and go on record. Um, you know, my understanding of Scripture is that the use of violence by Christians is in conflict with the teachings of Jesus. Uh, now, that being said, a lot of what Luke said I can absolutely relate to. Um, and even in agreeing to talk about this uh, on here today, I don't really come here with the intention of like, I'm trying to change somebody's mind by what I'm going to say. Really what I want to do is maybe share the journey that I went on that ended in my mind changing because I did not always think the way I think now. Um, and I know that there are, just like Luke said, there's a lot of people who love Jesus just like me who don't come to the same conclusion. There was a time I would have been sitting right there and going, yeah, I'm, yeah, I agree. But circumstances led to me going, I don't know if I'm thinking about this the way that the Bible is speaking about it. So I guess maybe what I hope to do is just maybe lay some stepping stones for anybody that's open to rethinking the issue, um, maybe clarify some misconceptions. You know, Luke mentioned that about uh, pacifists. Um, I don't personally use that term for myself. I know a lot of people maybe would, would label with that because it's a, you know, a well-known term. But uh, to me, pacifist implies passivity, and that's not something that I think that the teachings of Jesus uh, hold at all. That we should just be passive with evil and and just kind of just stand over in the corner and let whatever happens happen. So um, I wanted to maybe hopefully share some things that somebody else who's if, if I don't think I'm alone in this, it seems at least, and I know this may be anecdotal, that violence is becoming more pervasive in our culture. And even just in listening to people in the religious world, in the Christian world, talking about it, almost seem to be being seduced by it. And regardless of your stance on, you know, maybe say self-defense or whatever, I think that should be troubling to every Christian, that that is definitely not the, 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 the direction that the teachings of Jesus want us is becoming a more violent society or supporting for more violence, but everything that we can to stem the tide and at least be a resistance pulling in the other direction. So that's, that's kind of, you know, I'm on record, you know, I don't think it's in harmony with the teachings of Jesus. But I'd really just like to help some people understand how did I get from 
where I was to where I am. Yeah, great thoughts. Thank you, brother. Stephen? Uh, I've done a 180. Like before, before I became a Christian, uh, I've come from a very military family, militaristic family. And it was my plan to join the military and have a career and do all that. And so I was, I was gung-ho uh, with all that. And, and when that's where I was, the greatest good, like the highest good in my mind, was the preservation of life. Right? You're going to protect the people you love. You're going to protect your nation. That, that preservation was the highest good. And as long as that is the goal, then, then you're going to do whatever is necessary to achieve the highest good. Uh, once I was converted, you're confronted with Jesus then, who doesn't seem to have that as his highest good. And when we talk some more, like I'll get into what actually caused me to change the way that I think about it. Uh, but I would agree with what everybody has said so far, that uh, when I honestly sit down, me personally, when I sit down and read through Scripture, I could not align the values that I brought into my faith with the values that I saw the teacher setting before me. And so that baggage came with me. And over time I had to unpack it and ask myself, you know, is this who I ought to be as a Christian? And I think, I think everybody should be doing that constantly because we all bring baggage with us into our faith. And we just have to let the teacher sift through it with us and take out the stuff that shouldn't be there. And so that's sort of where I am now. The opposite of where I was before. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and similar to everything that everyone else has said, I, I'm I'm actually, it's interesting. I started this conversation by saying this shouldn't be controversial. And, you know, as, as a young Christian, the majority of my life, um, I would have also said it shouldn't be controversial because I thought, it, obviously, if you're a Christian, you're going to be pro uh, justice. You're going to be pro-military. You're going to be pro-defending uh, the innocent, defending the the defenseless. Um, you're going to be pro-using violence uh, for for good for good ends, um, good means, and and so that that was always my perspective. I, I I'm not a person who naturally shies away from that sort of thing. Uh, in fact, uh, to this to this day, I'm a gun owner, um, but my my thinking has drastically changed uh, over the years. It's interesting that uh, that we've mentioned the word pacifism several times, um, and I, I, I double-checked just now, uh, I googled it, uh, the etymology of the word pacifism, and, and it does, in English, it sounds like uh, it it's tied to uh, being passive or not doing something, but the word actually is about making peace. It's about being peacemakers, um, and so in that sense, yes, I would, I, I, don't, I don't tend to use the word <laughs> pacifist um, but but I, I certainly do embrace the 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 what I believe is the teaching of Jesus that we are to be people of peace even people who are willing to die in order to to make peace um, even if that means giving up our own lives and so uh, yeah this is similar to what what y'all have said I have shifted my thinking on this because of what I've read in Scripture, primarily, um, it isn't. It isn't that I've been influenced by a lot of of people who have also taken this perspective. Because um, it's been a very lonely journey uh, coming to this conclusion. Because 
uh, again, like I said in the beginning, it is incredibly controversial in our current culture uh, to say, I don't think Christians ought to use violent, deadly force in order to protect themselves and other people. That's not a popular opinion or a popular position to take now. Um, and so it, it's been a, a very lonely journey coming to this conclusion. But I found that other other preachers like like you brothers have come to very similar uh, positions because uh, you've spent time in the teachings of Jesus. So let's let's get into that for just a little bit and and talk about what are what are some of the specific passages of Scripture that have brought you to where you are now and and brought you to to the the conclusions that you're you're starting to draw. Luke, let's start with you, brother. Yeah, so probably for me, um, oh, about five or six years ago, I just got really into the Sermon on the Mount, Um, just taught through it in multiple contexts, and I just read a whole lot and became really convicted. I mean, this is Jesus talking to disciples of what it looks like to be his disciple and to live in his kingdom, and so that seemed very applicable to me. And uh, Jesus pretty explicitly uh, talks about the importance of being peacemakers and that uh, blessed are the peacemakers. These are people that God considers with favor. Um, He talks about non-resistance, turning the other cheek. He talks about loving our neighbors, um, which seems to be, you know, at odds with killing them. Um, Loving our enemies, which seems to be at odds with killing them. Uh, He talks about uh, in other contexts, uh, like when he is arrested and Peter uh, pulls out his sword and cuts off the ear of Malchus, Jesus is not pleased by this. And he rebukes Peter for doing this um, and heals his enemy instead. Uh, and so so really it started with me with the teachings of Jesus, but then also, you know, in other places um, in Romans 12 where Paul is talking in ways that resonate very closely with the Sermon on the Mount, but he talks about how we, we don't repay evil with evil. Instead, we try to live peaceably with all people. Um, and so I acknowledge that these, these teachings occur in context, but still they're very much tied to this is the way that Christians should live as a, as a matter of practice. Um, and it's, it's about peace, uh, which is antithetical to violence. So that's, that's kind of where I would start. Um, those are major passages for me. Yeah. Brandon? Well, if you'll forgive me, uh, can I do the opposite this time? I went straight to my direct answer a minute ago. Um, For me, really, uh, as far as the journey I took, it didn't actually start with Scripture that, like, changed my position because I was very beholden to what I believe was Scripture that justified violence. And, you know, I always had passages I could go to and say, see, See, it is okay in some cases. So that's not actually where the journey started for me. Um, oddly enough, I don't remember. It's not quite 20 years ago that, that um, there was a movie called um, The End of the Spear. And it was based on a documentary in a book called Beyond the Gates of Splendor. It was a, a true story about a missionary uh, group that was trying to evangelize uh, the Waldani tribesmen in Ecuador. Uh, they were kind of held in the distinction as the most violent culture on earth. They, uh, 60% of, of all the Waldani would, would die by murder. 
And um, in the movie depiction, now I don't know if this actually happened in the real story, but in the movie depiction, there's a scene where the father is going to be making contact with the tribesman for the first time, direct contact, physical contact, you know, face to face. And his son is, is pleading with him to take a gun to protect himself if they try to kill him. And the father's, you know, adamant that he's not going to do that. And, and the son is, you know, very emotional and wants to know why won't you do that. And the, the line that the, the actor delivered, at least, was, um, I'm ready to die, but they're not. And I just remember, you know, when I watched that movie, something about that convicted me of there's something, at least that that person, you know, whether or not that actually happened, I don't know. I'm just telling you, something convicted me that there's something in my thinking that's not like that but should be like that. Um, and so that started that started kind of unraveling a little bit, some of my thinking. Um, and, I, and I would say that it got exacerbated when the, uh, when the fella went into the um, Amish schoolhouse and barricaded himself in and killed you know, five children, shot five others. And there was a story that came out of that of two little girls that were sisters that literally volunteered themselves to be shot in an effort to keep him from harming the other children. One of them was shot and killed. One of them uh, survived. Uh, and again, you know, and then the response that the, the Amish people had, you know, they went to his funeral. They set up a fund for his widow and, and spouse and children and things like that. And those things just started eating at me of I don't have whatever that is. Now, I consider myself a devout believer. I was a preacher for a number of years at that point. But I was honest with myself, honest enough with myself to say, whatever that is, I don't have that. So that's where it started to unravel for me. And I started saying, maybe there's things I don't understand. Now, to, to answer your question directly, if I had to put a scripture on it today, maybe I'd say John 1836, uh, Jesus standing before Pilate, and, and he says, you know, my kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my disciples would have been fighting for my freedom. And when I read that, Jesus singles out nonviolence, as, at least in that instance, as the key difference between his followers and the rest of the world. And that's kind of a thing that for me is just hard to move past. So, you know, it's my opinion that, that based on that, that, the use of violence reduces our way of living to being no different than anybody else in human history. So Jesus's statement, and I do understand, listen, I, you know, I, the old me and thinking is still there and he goes, Hey, but Jesus in that situation is not the same as you and somebody breaking into your house. You know, that's, those aren't parallels. Jesus is, you know, fulfilling the eternal purpose of, of the father here. Um, and yet there's still truth to that, that Jesus says there's something different about my people than you've ever seen with any other people. So that one to me is really hard to move past. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Stephen. Uh, I'm going to do the same thing. I'll try to be uh, fast. The, the faith that we have is ancient and it has been shared with men and women for 2000 years. And there is 
little chance that I am going to come to better conclusions, I think, than the earliest disciples who are actually taught by the apostles and taught by uh, perhaps the apostle students. And so I, I often look through history and see what, what did the early Christians believe? Not that they're authoritative, uh, at least not any more than like a Bible class teacher today, but we go to those with wisdom. And so when I started reading through them, I have a couple quotes I just wanted to read very quickly. Uh, Justin Martyr, who speaks to me a lot, said, We ourselves were well conversant with war and murder and everything evil, but all of us throughout the whole world have traded in our weapons of war. We exchanged our swords for plowshares, our spears for farm tools. Now we cultivate the fear of God, justice, kindness, faith, and the expectation of the future given to us through the crucified one. The more we are persecuted and martyred, the more do others in ever-increasing numbers become believers. And there are other things, like Tertullian would say, uh, it is absolutely forbidden to repay evil with evil. The Christian does not hurt even his enemy. Um, Origen would say, loosely quoting Origen, he would say, people ask us where we come from and who our leader is, and we used to come like you did uh, with weapons and with warfare, but now we come like our Christ. We have turned our weapons into plowshares, our spears into sickles, and we no longer take sword against nation, nor do we learn to make war. And so the, the, almost the unified voice of the early believers is this position of nonviolence, at least deadly violence at least. And so it, it really made me think that, are, are they reading a different Bible than I am? <laughs> I mean, are, are we sitting at the feet of the same teacher because they're coming to radically different conclusions than I am. And that drove me to rethink the kingdom. Uh, and John 18 is a passage that I thought about a lot. Uh, the prophecies in Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah 65, about what the kingdom is going to be like, where you have the wolf and the lamb together, the, the lion eating grain. And it says there will be no violence in this place. And so when I begin to think about the nature of the kingdom and who we are as believers and what those earliest Christians looked like, I could no longer find a place for who I was in the past. And I had to decide, was what was I going to do with that? Was, was I going to tell all of these people that they were wrong? Was I going to ignore the words of my teacher? Or was I going to be humble and admit that maybe what I used to believe should change? And so that's that was sort of like where I came from. Yeah. Wow. Well, kind of building on what what so many of y'all have said, going back to what Luke was saying about the the Sermon on the Mount, um, that really helped to shape my thinking on this subject. But but also but also about Brandon touched on it with with the idea of the kingdom and the difference between the earthly kingdoms and the kingdom of Jesus and Stephen you you touched on that as well and and reading from those early Christians they quoted from you pointed out Isaiah Isaiah 2 uh, Micah 4 the idea of taking our weapons and turning them into farming tools this is what the prophet said that the kingdom was going to be like when the messiah comes and establishes establishes the kingdom of God, 
this is what it's going to be like. God's people are going to not learn war anymore. They're going to stop participating in war. They're going to turn their weapons into farming tools. Now, of course, the the assumption was, well, that's because there won't be war anymore because because all the evil will be taken away. And and but but the things that Jesus taught about the kingdom were what was really shocking and surprising for me. Ironically, one of the the passages and the ideas that shapes my thinking on this is the parable of the wheat and the tares. Jesus seems to be saying that unlike what you expected, you expected for the kingdom to come and it just to be wheat and there's no more tares anymore. But actually, there's going to be two kingdoms that grow side by side uh, and we're not going to violently take away the tares at this time. We're going to wait and allow them to grow side by side. There's, there's these parallel kingdoms that are going to continue to exist. And so we believe Christians believe that the kingdom of God has been established. We believe that the the kingdom of God has been inaugurated and that that we are currently presently living in the the era, the age that the prophets foretold. And if that's true, then then those prophecies have to be fulfilled through not only Jesus, but Jesus' people, which means we have to turn our weapons into farming tools. And so my perspective on on violence is really very eschatological. It's all about the fact that I believe that we are living in the age to come. We are we are the the new the new creation people right now in the middle of the old creation, in the middle of the the world that is still falling apart, that is still filled with sin and death. We are new creation people, even in the midst of this, and we have to live we have to live out the age to come, even in this present age. And and for me, that helps to make sense. Brandon, you mentioned earlier about there's plenty in the Bible that seems to justify violence, but it's all it's all prior to the coming of the Messiah. It's all prior to the coming of Jesus. There are plenty of warriors. There are pl- plenty of soldiers. There are plenty of times that God even commands people uh, to participate in violence. But the expectation is when the Messiah comes, then it will be an age of peace, and God's people won't participate in war anymore. Um, and, and that does seem to be—Stephen, I'm so glad you pointed that out— about the early Christian writings. If you go back, I've got a, a book here on my desk, uh, The Early Church on Killing. Um, it's a, a compilation of, of different uh, quotes from, from early Christians. And you go back and you read the first couple hundred years of Christian writing, and, and it was forbidden for Christians to participate in, in any sort of violence. Um, but then there's this 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 shift, an incredibly dramatic shift, so much so that we find ourselves now, as we pointed out, um, in an age where it's really not even questioned. I find that so many Christians aren't even having this conversation. It's just assumed that that Christians are okay with violence. Christians are pro uh, pro war, pro um, using violent means in order to protect themselves and others. Um, but that wasn't the early position that Christians held. So what happened? Why why did we go from what we see uh, with Origen and Tertullian and 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 Justin Martyr and and to what we what we have today? What what sort of transpired in there? What what would you want people to understand about the the evolution of thought as it pertains to this subject? Luke, uh, any thoughts on that? 
Um, <clears throat> so I'm interested to hear what other people say. I, I probably have not studied this the way that some of you all have. I would suspect that as with many things, uh, we see a shift uh, with the Emperor Constantine, um, the, the Constantinian shift, which is so impactful in so many different ways. But uh, <clears throat> distinctly put, uh, for a period of a, a, a few centuries, um, 200 250 years, uh, Christians found themselves as part of a persecuted minority community. And the persecution ebbed and flowed, and, and at times they were largely ignored, but sometimes it was incredibly severe. Uh, never were, were Christians in any widespread sense in places of uh, power or privilege. <clears throat> and then that begins to shift with the Emperor Constantine, who uh, first kind of famously uh issues the edict of toleration and now it's it's okay officially okay and permissible to be a christian and then sometime later uh christianity actually under constantine becomes the official religion of the roman empire um and, and constantine's an interesting character and he had reasons for doing what he did um but ultimately you go from a place where at one point the kingdom of god was considered to be in significant tension with the kingdoms of the world. And uh, people chose to be Christians without any sort of earthly benefit. In fact, they were largely facing ostracism and risking death by becoming Christians. And then that uh, switches significantly after Constantine, where now um, it becomes fashionable to be a Christian. And I'm not saying that all Christians no longer had any sort of conviction to them, but certainly there were some who were enjoying the fashionability and the privilege that came with being Christians. So now you have many people who are nominal Christians, not worrying about what's going to happen to them. And suddenly, uh, for, the, for the first time, really, uh, since Christianity becomes a thing, you have Christians who are just very at home in the world. And uh, the kingdoms of the world, especially if they have a veneer of Christianity on them, seem to be just very... Um, congruent with what what the, the kingdom of God is. Of course, in this instance, the, the the kingdom of the world is still is still Rome, and they still believe in war and and conquering and things like this. And so, uh, I, I think you just kind of get a lot of things muddled and mixed up. And then, not not too long after Constantine, you have um, Augustine of, of Hippo, probably the most influential Christian thinker this side of the Apostle Paul who uh, kind of famously postulates just war theory, um, where he kind of lays out groundwork for, uh, you know, not all war is okay, but some war is. Um, there, there are certain conditions uh, under which war is perhaps good, if not good, at least morally permissible, and there's certain conduct uh, that we should observe as part of a just war. So, for example, you know, war is something that should only be engaged in as a matter of last resort. We should try other means, exhaust all other means first. Uh, during war, you should only be uh, um, attacking targets of military necessity, so we're not targeting civilians, and different things like this. Um, and so so Augustine kind of comes up with just war theory, and it, it's interesting because I, I think even the fact that you have this brilliant theologian who is spending time kind of working this out is evidence of this shift because he finds himself in opposition uh, to what many people have said before him, and at the same time in opposition to what was very common around him, which was probably some equivalent of, you know, the emperor's might makes right. 
And so Augustine is kind of trying to delineate this third path that's kind of in between the two extremes where, okay, maybe we're not going to forbid all sorts of war. In fact, in, in some places it would be wrong for Christians to stand by and not be willing to violently intervene. But at the same time, not everything's on the table. And so I don't know. My suspicion would be that kind of the, the, the beginning with Constantine and then we see uh, the significant influence of Augustine not too long after leads to a lot of the shift that occurs. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. Brandon? Well, I don't have anything to add uh, in terms of what Luke said um, with, you know, Constantine and the church fathers, things like that. And uh, and I have a, a I know that Stephen has a lot of uh, a lot of knowledge um on on the church fathers and stuff like that he's read far more deeply in that than i have so i'm going to table that part of it for a second and maybe jump to the present day um and maybe what about today why has maybe there been and i'm not saying there's been a shift uh, at least it's being talked about a lot more and as you mentioned there seems to be a lot of animosity or a lot of at least emotion around uh, any suggestion of being nonviolent. Um, some people, that's almost, it's offensive. And uh, so, you know, what happened there? Um, I'm not going to indict other people, but I will, I'll definitely indict myself in this. Um, when that was my thinking, pre, you know, prevailing, and even when I still wrestle with things today, I think ultimately what it boils down to is. I am more shaped by my culture than by scripture. Now, I'm doing everything I can to change that. But I would say until I was nearly 40 years old, I wasn't even aware of that. I mean, there was no wrestling with it. I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't even know that, you know, I was caught up in the cultural current um, until I tried to swim against it. And then I found out real quick how, you know, how strong that current uh, can, and can move. Um, but I look at back at my childhood, you know, growing up, I, I heard all of the, you know, sermons about, uh, you know, uh, rated R movies with filthy language and uh, nudity and sexual content and stuff like that. I never heard, maybe others did it. I just didn't hear it. The condemnation of violent content, uh, violent movies, violent television shows, um, especially the ones that played into the narrative of patriotism. You know, um, essentially every action movie, television, you know, video game that I grew up on it d depicted good guys kill the bad guys and usually with guns. And that's true from going all the way back to, you know, when I was a kid with Rambo, uh, right up to, you know, in more recent years, Chris Kyle and the American Sniper movie. And I think it just becomes ingrained in us that this is just the way it is. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is the way it has to be. Good guys shoot the bad guys. That's the way God intended it, you know. So when you bring that mindset that is so shaped by that culture in every area, like I'm hearing no voices anywhere that is contrary to that. And then you bring that mentality with you to church. You start to unconsciously filter all of the anti-violence passages in the Bible through that lens. And then you amplify any passage that appears to endorse violence without even thinking about, well, then what would the ramifications of that be? You know, uh, I've heard this argument before of, 
you know, well, you know, God told Saul to kill the Amalekites, you know, everything that breathed. Okay, well, all right, let's just take that face value. That sounds good. And, you know, filter that through this modern culture of good guys kill the bad guys. The Amalekites were the bad guys, so, you know, the good guys kill the bad So are we prepared as followers of Jesus to say that means that we should kill men, women, and children of anyone that we deem to be bad guys. You know, are are you prepared to do that yourself, to kill a child? Because they are of those bad guys. And they'll grow up to become the bad guys that'll try to kill our children. And so I think this cultural cycle, for most of my life, it influenced how I read my Bible more than what actually the Bible was saying, where, where Scripture was leading to. And, um, and I think we're still very much caught up, and maybe even more than when I was a child, because it seems that the, the, the pushback that, and, you know, and I listen, I know there's voices that have been pushing back for a long time. I'm fairly new to the conversation. But in the recently much more open pushback against violence, it is almost as if it's taken a bat to a hornet's nest and the the amplification of, of violence, of the, in, the justification, that's the word, a better word, not amplification, justification of violence in some situations has almost become aggressive now, which to me, again, it's just speaking, that's culture speaking because that regardless of where you stand on whether or not the Bible says it's okay in some situations. I don't think anyone can honestly approach Scripture, even from that perspective, and say, and that's the flow that Jesus wants us going towards. He wants us moving toward, looking towards snuffing out any potential bad guys. I don't think anybody could honestly say that's the, that's the current of Scripture, but that is the current of culture. Hmm. Hmm. Great point. Great point. Stephen, any thoughts on that? Uh, I, I would agree uh, with everything they said, that it a lot of it centers around our culture and our theology. Um, I wasn't alive in the early part of the 20th century, but I know that it was very common for people who came from restoration movement groups uh, to be conscientious objectors. And you get into the time of the Korean conflict and the Vietnam War, you know, our, our culture had shifted from one of isolationism towards one of more aggressive, uh, a more aggressive stance. And that culture shifted within churches, too. Um, there was a guy I was pretty good friends with in southeast Texas, and he was telling the story of when he got drafted. He went down to the recruiter's office, and they pulled out his forms, and they saw where he, you know, his religious affiliation, and they began to pull out the form for the conscientious objector. And he actually had to convince the guy that he wasn't a conscientious objector. So there's been a huge shift. And I think a lot of it comes down to not only culture, but, but also theology. Um, I think in the early church, you begin to see, like Luke mentioned, people, instead of seeing the kingdom as this reality that is in conflict with the world around them, they began to see the kingdom as the nations in which they lived. And the, church control, the, the kingdom grew as the church took more land. And so the kingdom was only as big as the land that the church controlled. And so they began to fight to control land. You know, we had to go, you know, we got to go take the Middle East away from the Muslims because that's the kingdom. And, and so that shift in theology had a, 
radically impacted the practical ways in which Christians started to use violence. And I think we see the same thing today when you hear people talk about America as a Christian nation. Well, if it is, then Christians should defend it. But the fact is, Jesus several times in the New Testament says that Satan is the ruler of this world. You know, Satan is the one with control of all the kingdoms that he promises to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't want those. Uh, his kingdom is different. And so this, we, we're trying to lose the tension, and, and we begin to find ourselves caught up in thinking that the kingdom is a nation rather than something different. And so I would agree with everything that Luke and Brandon said. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for all of those thoughts. I, I think it's incredibly important for us to to just recognize, you know, where these thoughts come from and to just recognize that there has been a lot of shift in the way that Christians have tended to think about these things, not because we've necessarily become better Bible students, but because we've been influenced by by the situations that we found ourselves in, uh, two world wars and um, you know the Crusades long, long before that, um, and 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 Constantine power and wars and all of these things that have happened have over time created layers of understanding that we sort of have to dig dig down through. But going back to what Brandon said a minute ago, that if you if you just listen to to Jesus, if you read Paul, it's really hard to think that that. Jesus intends for his people to to certainly use this as a first as a first line of defense it, for this to be our first reaction to say hey if somebody's bad or if somebody's hurting me or if somebody is threatening me my first reaction is to respond violently um, we would obviously argue that that shouldn't be a reaction at all but the fact that that is so many Christians first reaction should show us that we've been heavily influenced by culture, by the world, um, and by worldly thinking rather than by the Spirit of God. I want to take a break, but when we come back, I, I really want to, to to give some some pushback to this and, and, and sort of try to introduce some arguments that I've heard that I myself have made uh, and, see, and see how we wrestle with some of the, the very real arguments. Thank you so much for listening to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. If you have just a moment, we would love for you to rate and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're listening. It really does help people find this content. I also want to thank the guests who join me each week, Travis Pauly, who edits this podcast, Beth Tabor, who often volunteers her time to transcribe it, and our whole McDermott Road Church family who make it possible for us to provide this Bible study for you. Now, let's go out and love like Jesus. Jesus.